Professor, a friend told me he's convinced that evolution makes atheism intellectually respectable. What do you think? A recent book provides a good answer. Let's talk about it. This is Truth in the Test Tube, a program where we examine nature with the logic of cause and effect, suggesting that nature is an effect whose cause is God. So let's turn up the heat, add the light of analytical thinking, and see what truth bubbles up. I just read a book entitled Letter to an Influential Atheist. This 150-page letter is directed to Richard Dawkins, a British professor who's one of the most vocal atheists of the 21st century. An author, Roger Steer, begins, In your book, Climbing Mount Improbable, you describe how, when your daughter Juliet was six, you were driving her through the countryside when Juliet pointed to some flowers by the side of the road. You asked her what she thought they were for. What purpose they had? Two things, she replied to make the world pretty, and to help the bees make honey for us. You admit to being touched by this reply, but you felt obliged to tell your daughter that was not true. You acknowledge that Juliet's answer was much the same as that which most adults throughout history would have given. But you say we must all learn to see things through non-human eyes. What does Dawkins mean when he says by seeing things through non-human eyes? He thinks that nothing was made for the benefit of humans. As Steer paraphrases the idea, flowers are not there for our benefit. They're for spreading copies of instructions for making more flowers, just as elephants are for spreading copies of instructions for making more elephants. The instructions are written in the language of DNA. That sounds like what Dawkins said in another book, The Selfish Gene. He claims that a flower gene selfishly works only to make more flowers, and each species of animal looks out for only itself. He continues, Flowers are nothing more than tools for getting DNA into the next generation. The bees are drawn towards the flowers and carry the pollen from one flower to another. It so happens we have a world full of pretty flowers, but the fact we enjoy looking at them is beside the point. How does that compare with the ideas of the early evolutionists? Well, Dawkins claims that both Darwin and his contemporary scientist, Alfred Wallace, thought that evolution had solved the mystery of life and made atheism intellectually respectable. But Steer points out that in reality, Wallace argued precisely the opposite. His view was that scientific observations led inevitably to believe in a higher being. Steer continues writing to Dawkins, You do not tell us whether you persuaded your daughter to change her mind. I hope, however, that you told her about the distinguished scientist who contemporaneously, but independently of Darwin, arrived at the theory of evolution by natural selection and who agreed with her and not with you. He elaborates, Wallace agreed with Darwin in linking the origin and development of flowers to the visits of insects. He thought that the advantage of some species of flowers being conspicuous and, unlike others, flowering at the same time, avoided the frequent crossing of species. 
Is he saying that if all flowers were the same colour, bees might get confused and mix pollen from various species? Yes. He reasoned that confused bees would produce flowers that were not genetically pure. But Steer continues, like your perceptive daughter, however, he did not believe that this was a complete explanation for colour in nature. Wallace noted that the blue of the sky, the tints of sunset, the snow-covered mountains, the many shades of green in the country are unending sources of pleasure. He maintained that there's a relationship between this wealth of colour and our emotional, moral natures. Everyone can admire and delight in the cheerful colours of flowers, birds and insects. So, one reason God put so much colour into the world is that so that people can enjoy it. Exactly. Wallace knew Darwinism taught that colour has its uses in nature, but he also recognised the logical view taken by Juliet, that these colours are there for our enjoyment. And Steer adds, for Wallace, colour reinforced his belief in some guiding power, some supreme mind directing and organising the forces of nature. He simply could not believe that human enjoyment of colour had been developed only as a survival strategy in the struggle for existence. Our love of colour, along with our appreciation of scenery and music, were, in his words, gratuitous gifts. So Darwin thought that everything had to have survival value. But Wallace realised that humans could survive without loving colour or appreciating music. So he reasoned that these gratuitous gifts were powerful arguments for a benevolent author of the universe. God is not just a brilliant engineer making organisms that function well. He's also an artist. That reminds me of a verse I read in the Bible. The second chapter of the very first book says, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Astronomer Johannes Kepler expressed a similar thought. We do not ask for what useful purpose birds do sing, for song is their pleasure, since they were created for singing. Steer points to what he calls Dawkins' most famous sentence. This book is written in the conviction that our own existence once presented the greatest of all mysteries, but that it is a mystery no longer, because Darwin and Wallace solved it, though we shall continue to add footnotes to their solution for a while yet. Steer counters that statement by telling Dawkins, I'm writing this letter because I think you claim too much for evolutionary mechanisms. You try to make them into a, a theory of life, the universe and everything. And a biological theory is not up to such a Herculean task. In fiction, Hercules was a huge, powerful giant. So he's saying Darwin's theory is merely valid in biology. It's not big enough to explain life, the universe and everything. Steer continues, It's an abuse of science to take a good theory out of its scientific context and use it for ideological purposes. He accuses Dawkins of distorting your reader's thinking. One example is, you mislead people by suggesting that Darwin and Wallace set out to solve the mystery of our existence. The truth is that the puzzle they sought to unravel was more modest. Darwin called his book Origin of Species, not Origin of the Universe and All Things. 
Dawkins claims that both Wallace and Darwin thought that the theory of evolution made atheism intellectually respectable. Deere points out that Wallace insisted that the universe was made by God. He also criticizes Dawkins for not acknowledging that many scientists disagree with his atheistic interpretation of the facts. Dawkins claims that both Wallace and Darwin thought that the theory of evolution made atheism intellectually respectable. Steer points out that Wallace insisted that the universe was made by God. He also criticizes Dawkins for not acknowledging that many scientists disagree with his atheistic interpretation of the facts. Yes, in episodes of this programme we featured many respected scientists who believe in God. Steer tells Dawkins, Our disagreement is over the explanatory power of the theory of evolution by natural selection. In other words, we disagree about the philosophical and religious implications of Darwinism. I do not agree with you that what Darwin and Wallace discovered either solved the mystery of our existence or strengthened the case for atheism. I see natural selection as a process that produces biological diversity that you want to convince the world that it is a sufficient explanation for our existence in all its complexity. Darwin didn't think his theory explained our existence in all its complexity. His closing sentence in Origin of Species says merely that he thought a few forms or one form of life had developed into the multiple life forms that exist today. True. His exact words were, There is grandeur in this view of life, with its several powers, having been originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one, and that whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. While you were reading those words, I noticed that he said that life was originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one. It doesn't sound as if Darwin thought his theory justified atheism. That's a good observation. Steer says he doesn't have a knockdown case for religious belief. As Steer explains, I'm accepting that if there were unanswerable arguments for either theism or atheism, we should expect every informed and thoughtful person to be either a religious believer or an atheist. And clearly, this is not the case. In other words, if there were positive proof proving beyond doubt either that God exists or that he doesn't, the disagreement would end. He continues, My objective is to draw attention to the weaknesses of your atheistic worldview. I think you have a problem in accounting for an orderly universe in which mindless molecules have transformed themselves into mind, meaning, memory and morality. A universe in which chemicals have produced complexity, creativity, consciousness and character. And replicators have conveyed reason through countless generations so that we have a world of life and love, values, happiness, altruism, a sense of purpose and a widely held belief in God. So, Steer thinks molecules needed somebody smart to assemble them into living creatures. Darwin theorised that if life originated with a few living forms, they might evolve into the other species that exist on Earth. But he didn't claim that natural processes produced the first living forms. He spoke of them being made by the Creator. 
Has today's program brought a question to your mind? If so, we'd like to hear from you. If you want to email us, our address is testtube at radio882.com. That's testtube at radio882.com. You may also write our postal address at P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore 560043, India. Once again, that's P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore 560043, India. Either way, we would be honored to hear from you and know what you're thinking and answer any questions that you might have. And before we close, I want to invite you to join us the next time for Truth in the Test Tube.